I'm Amelia, and today I'll be reading two passages. Um, the first one is Exodus 17, 1-7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place, as the Lord commanded. They camped there at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And the second reading is Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout out loud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where, you tr- where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are people whose hearts go astray, and they do not know my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Thanks, Amelia. Hi, everyone. My name's Matt. I'm uh, usually uh, part of the 9.30 service uh, in the morning here. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'm not a regular pastor here or anything. Um, uh, It's really good. It's really good to be with you this evening. Um, I was getting a bit teary in the first song because uh, it's uh, just so good to be with God's people. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll get into Psalm 95. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you have spoken to us in your word and we ask that you'd help us to hear it tonight, that you'd help us to obey it and that you'd help us to um, keep ourselves from hardening our hearts to your word and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, there was a book written uh, recently um, called The Happiest Man on Earth and it was written by a guy called Eddie Jacku. Eddie... uh, was 100 years old when he wrote it so uh he's you know he's got some game he's he knows what he's talking about in a way um and uh he recounts happy and unhappy times particularly unhappy times um of when he was a prisoner of the nazis for seven odd years uh between 1938 and 1945 uh as a jew 
He was a German Jew, and he recounts a story when he was at ho- uh, away in another city, uh, working and studying, uh, returns home to his family home, and it's boarded up. Parents, siblings gone, no idea what's happened to them. And then he stays there a few nights later. He gets ripped out of the house. The house is burned. And that was conducted by people who used to be his friends. They used to be his neighbours. They used to see each other at the shops. And he talks about how uh, during his time in concentration camps, there were things that sustained him. Um, The friendship that he had with a particularly good friend and just talking with him really helped him get through the days. Uh, And the kindness of people to save food for him and give him some food uh, when he was in hospital or unwell. But he also gives warnings about the kinds of things that uh, happen to people when they're afraid and when they're proud and when their sense of identity is kind of uh, threatened or kindled. Um, and, And this book, The Happiest Man on Earth, kind of mirrors... Psalm 95 in that there are great encouragements and um, uh, really good kind of life-giving things and there's also serious, serious warning uh, which we really need to pay attention to. And so the, the kind of the big question is uh, how do we keep a soft heart to God's voice? You'll see why in a little while. Uh, and how do we enter God's rest? We're going to have a look at Psalm 95, we'll have a look at a couple of passages in Exodus, and then we're going to finish with looking at Hebrews chapter 4. So we're at point number one, how do we keep our hearts soft to God's voice and how do we enter his rest? We, uh, we sing salvation songs in verses 1 to 5, so let's have a look at that now. The psalmist writes, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The psalmist David, we know from uh, Hebrews chapter 4, David wrote this psalm, he's calling God's people together, and to praise him and to sing with joy. And it appears initially because of who God is, because of his might, because of his power. And that's true. God is mighty and powerful and there is no God like him. But I think there's a little bit more going on. The story that Amelia read for us in Exodus 17 is the story of Israel in the desert after they've been taken out of Egypt by God. And this is the moment for God's people in the Old Testament. This is the defining moment. And so I think what David's doing here is calling people's minds back to the salvation that God won for them in uh, rescuing them from Egypt. And so there should be a table that appears on the screen with a few comparisons between um, Psalm 95. And Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is a song that Moses, the leader of God's people at that time, uh, sang as God uh, swamped Pharaoh and his army under the Red Sea. And in Psalm 95, we have in verse 3, God is the great king above all gods. 
And in Exodus 15, verse 11, Moses says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? In his hands are the depths of the earth. Exodus 15, verse 12, You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. I think what David's doing is he's calling God's people's mind back to this defining moment where God saved them. Verse 5, he made the sea, the Red Sea. That's the sea that Israel walked through to escape Pharaoh and his army. And it's the same sea that covered Pharaoh. Uh, Exodus 15, um, verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of his of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. And his hands formed the dry land. In uh, verse 19 of Exodus 15, when Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. I don't think the list in Psalm 95 uh, is simply attributes of God and Dem, uh, demonstrations of his power it's about salvation it's about God saving his people and David is calling Israel's mind back to that and because of this salvation they're meant to sing and we love singing all the time it's kind of hard not to sing when we're all together here with the mask on I had to stop myself the other time I started and then I was like no you've got to keep it in sing in your heart not out loud um, and so sometimes we sing because it's a cool tune and it catches something about it, catches us and gets us moving. Um, and other times it's because it means something to us. There's some kind of connection um, to our life, something maybe we aspire to in the song or there's something about it that resonates with our story. So if you're singing um, My Shadow's the only one to walk beside me, from the Green Day song, well, then maybe there's, you know, there's some loneliness that you can, that's you're connecting to there. Or if you're singing um, with Taylor, uh, Shake It Off, then maybe you're trying to get through something. And, you know, that sentiment is really, really appealing to you. Uh, or if you, you turn to a hymn, uh, something like Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, Hide Me Now, My Refuge Be, there's something about that story of salvation where God gave up his only son for us, that is our story, that we're included with that. And so we need to sing these songs. We've got to sing these songs of salvation because it's our story. It's kind of, it's who we are. For us, for Wollongong Baptist Church, for Christians in the 21st century, God taking his people out of Exodus is not our defining moment. Uh, ours is the cross, where God gave up his only son, uh, so that we can be sons and daughters of God. And so we've got to sing about that. Um, and it'll come up on the screen, Exodus, uh, sorry, Ephesians 5 encourages us, us to do that. Instead, Paul writes, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The from our heart bit is what we're doing now with this whole mask thing, but it's only temporary. Um, 
And we can sing other places, maybe the car, um, maybe uh, home group or something like that. But we've got to be telling these stories to each other and to ourselves. And there's some real gems there, like, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Rock of ages, cleft for me, hide me now, my refuge be. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. As we sing, we're telling our story again and again. And the point that David's making is this, in the psalm is that it's good for us and it's good for our hearts. It keep our, keeps our hearts soft to God's voice. Why would we ignore the voice of the God who saves us? We're at point number two. Um, how do we keep a soft heart to God's voice? How do we enter his rest? We humbly trust in God's provision in verses 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Bowing down and kneeling, they're positions of humility. And it's not a subjugation like, I'm your Lord, bow before me. Um, it's not that kind of thing. It's, it's a willing, willing submission to a God who cares for you. And it's approaching this God, because we've seen is very powerful, uh, with some humility. We're not buds. He's the God of the universe. I'm his servant. I'll approach with some uh, humility. And if you're worried about your knees or, you know, getting calluses or whatever, um, uh, the physical posture is secondary to the posture of the heart and the attitude that we have towards God. This attitude of submission. Why? In verse 7... Because he's our God. He's our God. He cares for us. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Back in the time of David and Moses in, in the ancient Near East, shepherding was a big deal. The shepherd was not just the guy who couldn't find another job. Um, he was an important dude and his flock was really valuable. Uh, you got a lot from sheep. You've got milk, you've got wool, um, you've got meat, you've got more sheep if you take good care of them. So it was a really valuable investment. And the shepherd cared for the sheep. The shepherd made sure that they had what they needed. Food, water, shelter, protection from predators. And it was hard work. And the shepherd would go and find the lost ones whenever they wandered off. We're very valuable to God, very valuable. He cares deeply for each of us. How do we know? Well, he sent his own son to the cross that we might be his. And so we can trust him to provide what we'll need. The situation might be very dire, but God will always provide us what we need. When we're stuck... We need to humbly call out to him for help in faith. And I'm, you know, no prophet. I don't, I'm not the son of a prophet or anything like that. Um, but I'm going to bet that there's probably going to be lots of tough times ahead 
for you individually and for us uh, as a people. Uh, so we need to, to remember that God cares for us. He, he looks after us uh, and he will and he'll keep doing that. And so before we go into the next section, um, is this a picture of a harsh and judgmental kind of God? I would say not at all. And so we need to remember that as we read this, this warning in the next verses. And if you're here uh, checking out church or um, you're not a Christian, um, then I hope this helps to, to give you a picture of what the God of the Bible is like, that he's not like a harsh killjoy ready to drop the hammer on you whenever you stuff up, but he's the kind of God that uses his power to save people uh, and he's the kind of God that cares for his people. It's not like, oh, great, you're mine, I'll go find someone else now. Um, but he looks after each of his people. He, he, we're very precious to God. And so why would we ignore the voice of this kind of God? So we're at point number three. How, uh, how do we keep our hearts soft to God's voice? How do we end his rest? Well, we do not harden our hearts in uh, verses 7 to 11. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And so I think what David's doing here in the psalm is that he's, he's calling to mind the things that Israel hadn't learnt or hadn't remembered or hadn't taken to heart when they were at Meribah and Massah. Meribah means quarrelling and they quarrelled with Moses, God's representative, and by extension, quarrelled with God, and Massa, which means testing. And I think David's point is that they forgot their story. They forgot that the God of the universe used his power to save them uh, from a foreign power, and that he had already, even before Exodus 17, there were a few instances where they were lacking some kind of necessity, and God provided for them. And they'd forgotten that by the time they got to Exodus 17. And they started to wonder whether this God guy was really as powerful as he seemed and whether he was as good as he seemed. And so we see in Exodus 17, verse 3 and verse 7, that they grumble. So in verse 3, But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And then in verse 7, and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so this, this response to a tricky situation is not one that we should follow. Okay, this is, this is the opposite of what God's people should do. Uh, and it's hard-heartedness, and the, their response shows that their hearts are not uh, soft, they're not willing 
to follow God, but they're like, hey, you're not treating us how we think we should deserve. What's the deal? And that, that's not something that we should do with God, is David's point there. They were trying to show that God was weak, that he couldn't, you know, that he wasn't there anymore because, because they didn't have water. And so, and like, we've got to keep this in mind. It's not like it's a trivial thing that Israel were having to deal with. They were, they were going from Egypt, a fairly dry place, through the desert, a drier place, to a better land. And so when you're going from a drier place to a drier place, water is kind of like an essential, right? I've never done desert exploration, but I'm pretty sure that snake skins will get you so far, and then you've got to have water from a good source. So it, like, it was life and death kind of stuff, but still their response was, was from a hard heart. And God's not neutral to this kind of treatment. He's not a punching bag. We can't just, just grumble and beat him up as much as we like. Um, and I think we know the difference between calling out for help in faith from a position of humility, where we're really stuck and we call out to God for help, uh, and this kind of grumbling that the Israelites are doing here. I think we know the difference. And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably can recognise some times when we've strayed into the hard-hearted category and where we've called out to God saying, hey, I deserve better from you. What's the deal? Why is this happening to me? And we can be honest with God, but we do need to be careful about grumbling against him. Uh, And with Israel... And with those who treat God with such contempt, he becomes angry. And we don't read it in Exodus 17, but in Numbers chapter 14, we read the oath. We read what God says uh, to these people who, who don't listen to him. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. It's serious. Having a hard heart towards God is really serious. And so we're kind of left wondering... Who can enter God's rest? Me? What's, what's going on? And so we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4, and this is where we're going to stay uh, till the end, because Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 is a look at Psalm 95. So I'd really encourage you to go away and read it at home, um, because there are things in there that we can't draw out. Uh, but I'm going to pick up a few from chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So the writer to the Hebrews has been writing about this uh, desert experience from Exodus 17. And he said, well, if, if Exodus 17 was the very end of rest and God wasn't going to give rest to anyone anymore, well, then David wouldn't have written about it in Psalm 95. And so because we have it in Psalm 95, yes, we can still enter God's rest. 
And God's rest is not like a, like a lounge room um, with a fully stocked fridge. It's rest from the, the battle against sin. It's a rest from the battle against the enemies of God's people. It's, it's life and joy forevermore with God and with his people. And the writer to the Hebrews says, let, let us make every effort to enter that rest. How do, we, how do we fall short of that? Well, we forget our story. We forget lo- God's loving care. We forget God's voice and we don't listen to it. And so this kind of warning from Psalm 95, this is a serious business. Usually like Psalms have, you know, the down a bit is at the start. And that's where the author is really struggling with things. And by the end, he's rejoicing in God. It's kind of the opposite for Psalm 95. The start is the rejoicing bit. And then the end is the serious, well, like, warning bit. But it's not bad news. Warnings aren't bad news. When you're at the surf, out at the beach, and you're frolicking and you're giddy and happy, and, and you, you start to drift, and then you hear the whistle and the finger pointing straight at you, right between your eyes, and you feel that pang of shame, as you realise you've strayed from the flags, and you see the arm pointing you back to where it's safe. It's a good thing, right? It's not bad. They're not trying to kill your fun. They're trying to keep you from dying. It's really good that the lifeguards warn us And so God warning us about the disobedience that leads to being cut off from his rest is a really good thing. It's a really gracious and kind thing for God to tell us. And so if if hardening our hearts to God's voice leads to getting cut off from God's rest, should we ignore God's voice? That's kind of what's causing my hard heart. Shouldn't I just put it to the side? No, not at all. Um, Let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It kind of sounds like a bad thing, but again, this is an incredible gift of God. Because if we are people who call Jesus our saviour, if we're people who are striving to enter God's rest, are we going to be able to tell when our hearts become hard? Probably not. It's kind of like the sneaky, it sneaks up on you. But God's word will get to our hearts, and that's really good. It, God's word will expose our hard-heartedness. And what do we do when we see it? Who do we turn to? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, 
just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When God's word exposes our hearts that we've been ignoring God's voice, we turn to Jesus and we turn to God's throne, not of like a throne with an axe ready to behead you because you've stuffed up, it's a throne of grace. That kindness that you don't deserve will come from God. And God and Jesus, our great high priest who's talked about here, he, he knows what it's like to be tempted to ignore God. He knows what it's like to be tempted to, uh, to say, I'm too scared. He knows what it's like to be tempted to say, oh, I know better. But does he sin? No. He's in the best position to help us. He's in the more powerful position to help us when we stuff up, when we've been ignoring God than anyone else. And so where the rubber hits the road for us tonight with Psalm 95 is today. And if there's been something said tonight that has cut you to the heart, well, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. We've seen that's that's entirely the wrong response to God's voice. You should talk to God about it. Talk to someone about it. But Psalm 95 continues next week when someone uh, preaches here and when home groups start up in a week or two and when you look at a passage and you start to feel it that your life is not matching the kind of life that someone who follows Jesus should live. And so what will you do? When you're called to love, trust and obey God and his King Jesus, what will you do? Will you seek forgiveness of God and others? Or, and will, will you pursue generosity instead of stinginess? Will you pursue peace instead of conflict? Will you thank God for the things he's given you or blithely ignore him using what you got as if it all came from you? Will you strive to enter God's rest or slowly drift from the God who loves you and gave himself for you? Don't harden your heart to the voice of the God who saves you. Let me pray for us. Almighty, Almighty God, there are times when we've stuffed up and we've failed to hear what you've said to us and we've ignored you and we've let our hearts become a little bit harder. Please forgive us. Please help us to keep a soft heart to you this year, remembering our story of salvation that you've won for us, remembering that you care for us deeply and remembering the danger of hardening our hearts to your voice. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Matt. What an encouraging and challenging sermon. It's so easy to get angry at God or uh, blame him or think that he's abandoned us when things are not going our way. 
Uh, but this next song is a wonderful reminder of God's grace and his promise to always be with us no matter what we're going through in our lives. So I hope you'll uh, find comfort in these words and please stand with us as we sing. Blessed be your name. <laughs> 